Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. For the last few weeks, I've been preaching on God speaking to us based on the, the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. If you would turn there, I'd like to pick up Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, it says, at many times and in many ways. Bruce, if you don't mind um, just filling in there um, and bringing that up on the screen for those who don't have the Bibles with them. Of course, if you do have your Bible, that is ultimately the best. You know, I've been doing a lot of uh, sermon prep and things, and it's really, I got to be honest, it's really handy using a computer <laughs> because you type in a verse, it comes up. You, you know, when I before I started pastoring and having to preach every week, I would type out every verse from a real Bible <laughs> because by typing it out, you get it in your heart. So my studies would take a long time, but I don't have four or five weeks to do a study. <laughs> so I do copy and paste now, <laughs> but there's something about meditating on that word as you're typing it in. And there's something about looking it up in your real Bible. You know, when you go back and, and you remember that verse that you read, you can look in your Bible and you can kind of know about where it's, it was on this side of this page is in this, you can kind of know where it's at, you know, it's good to have your Bible <laughs> that you read all the time. Amen. But uh, we'll go ahead and we use it up, put them up on the screens for those of you who uh, would like to follow along. But I'll tell you another little secret. We can put anything up here on the screens we want. <laughs> <laughs> It, it would be to your benefit to go ahead and, and uh, look it up in the scripture and um, read it in context. <laughs> read the verses before, read the verses after. Make sure what we're telling you is true. That's honorable in the sight of God. And it is. Of course, I know you guys are sharp. I can't get in. I couldn't get anything past you if I wanted to. So, <laughs> But uh, go, go with me to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Let me start again. Um, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He spoke to our fathers, it says, by the prophet. And then verse 2, it says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. And I've been saying, aren't you glad that God spoke? He didn't give us the silent treatment. You know, when Adam sinned in the garden, uh, Adam was lost. The glory of God had departed. He was dead. He was driven out of the garden. But what did God do? He came and he spoke. He spoke a word. And you'll read there in that, in that uh, third chapter of Genesis, right in the very beginning in the creation story. And he starts prophesying about the Savior who's going to come. And he says to the serpent, you will strike at his heel, but he will crush your head. As in, in, in theological circles, they call that the Evangelion. That's the first mention of the gospel. God spoke. Thank God he didn't give us the silent treatment because all he had to do for us to be lost at that point was nothing. Had he done nothing, we'd have been lost. And, and we, we have this idea sometimes like it's so hard to get to God. No, it's actually impossible to get to God except for the fact that God came after us. This whole Christian thing, being reconnected and united with God was totally his idea, not ours idea. It's not us trying to reach God. It's us responding to a God who's reaching out and coming after us. A God who spoke a word, a word of power, a word of rescue. Amen. 
So aren't you glad God speaks? Well, he spoke times past in the prophets and by our fathers. That would be the Israel's fathers, right? Moses, Abraham, the prophets, through the law, God was speaking. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. How? By a son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, work of God, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What I want to focus on today is the first part of verse three. It says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And I want to give you this thought today. Jesus reveals the Father. I'm standing here staring at Bruce because he's doing two things at once back there. But that's okay. Look at that. Jesus reveals the Father. Now, why is this important to know that Jesus reveals the Father? I mean, at first you can take it just kind of as an obvious. Well, of course he does. I mean, they're both God. They are God. It's just God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Of course, they're all in agreement. But see, Jesus, because God is speaking through Jesus in the earth, Jesus can reveal something about the Father that the law couldn't, that the prophets couldn't, that the fathers, Israel's founding fathers could not. He's speaking through Jesus and he can reveal something about God that nobody else could. And it's important to know that. The reason it's important to know that is because both the world and the church have tons of crazy, inaccurate ideas of what God is really like. What's that Chris Tomlin song we sing? I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. <laughs> How many have you heard? <laughs> I've heard a thousand stories of what people think you're like, but everybody's got ideas. The world's got ideas, religion's got ideas, different churches have different ideas, but the one who is accurate is who? Jesus. God is speaking through Jesus. Let me give you a couple of different ideas. Sometimes there's people who, in the world and in churches who think that everything that happens is the will of God or wouldn't have happened. Everything you see happening on the earth is automatically the will of God. Well, it must have been a will of God. There's a reason for everything, they say. Well, there is a reason for everything, but it doesn't mean that the reason is it's the will of God. My sister, um, who some of you guys have met, she was here a couple of weeks ago. She actually volunteers for um, uh, Knox Rescue. And uh, she, she hadn't been volunteering very long, but she actually got to go work um, a serious accident and uh, a drunk driver crossed the road and killed the person instantly and the other person's in the hospital. That's the reason. Somebody was drinking and driving. It's the reason. Doesn't mean it was God's plan, does it? Doesn't mean it was God's. There's a reason for everything. The reason might be the thief is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said kill, steal, and destroy is not his work. It's the thief's work. What's Jesus's work? That's right. The thief comes, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So you know right there that that wasn't expression of God's will on the earth, was it? 
Some people think, and, and this is held in Calvinist circles, that, that there's a hidden will of God, that there's the revealed will, but there's something secret about God that ultimately everything he wants is the thing that happens. And the reason they believe that is because they believe everything is predetermined. Everything is predestined. If you've heard that word, predestined, predestination. And in fact, they believe that even though the Bible says it's God's will for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, they believe that there's a hidden will of God that is actually predetermined that some people should go to hell. It's, that's in the theology. <laughs> you can study it if you want. It's not really worth your time, to be honest with you. But um, that's, that's a, a doctrine that uh, some people believe called predestination. And the world tends to have those tendencies too, because if there's a God and he's all powerful, he must be in control. So everything that happens must be under his control. But that's not exactly how Jesus showed us, is it? See, Jesus told us to pray, thy will be done. Right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, will be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so what does that tell you? We're supposed to be praying that God's will, which is always done in heaven, is done also on the earth. See, we're living in a time where God's will is not always done on the earth. It was not God's plan for that drunk driver to cross the lane and kill somebody. Those, God's not the author of that stuff. But see, we get these wrong ideas about God through the world. We get wrong ideas through religion and traditions. We need to know that none of these things reveal the Father. Who reveals the Father? Jesus reveals the Father, amen? So when God gives you a choice, it says, whosoever will can follow me. That's a real choice. He's not telling you, you decide, I set before you blessing and cursing. You decide. <laughs> As for me and my house, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No, that choice is a very real choice. Amen? It's a real thing. God doesn't tell you to choose and then some secret will makes it where it's impossible for you to choose. That's just, that's doctrines of devils, to be honest with you. The Bible tells you what the will of God is, not some secret thing that some person invented about the Bible. Jesus shows you what the will of God is. And anybody who came to him, he didn't reject, did he? Jesus shows us what God is like. Some people believe that sometimes God will use sickness to teach you something or to keep you humble. But did Jesus teach that? What's it say in Acts 10, 38? Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. See, Jesus saw sickness as actually oppression from the devil, his enemy. He didn't see it as a tool to refine you or, or humble you or to teach you something. It's not how he did it. You don't see that anywhere in the life of Jesus. See, so listening to all these traditions and ideas from the world, you get a whole lot of different, you get a whole different picture of God than you do if you just take the time to look at Jesus, don't you? Jesus is the one who reveals the Father. Think about this. In the scripture, you never see Jesus turn somebody down who has come to him for help. Never. The closest thing maybe you could get would be that Syrophoenician woman when he said, you know, it's, it's, uh, not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. 
But did he actually turn her? Did she get her healing? Yeah, she did. And he was impressed by her faith. She was an outsider. She wasn't Jewish. He was challenging her. He was teasing her, I guess. <laughs> but at the end of the day, she, her daughter was healed. Amen. He didn't, he didn't turn her down. He could have said, nope, not going to do it. He didn't have to, but he did, didn't he? It says about him, a bruised reed, he will not break. Isn't that good? His gentleness. You never see Jesus telling somebody in the Bible that it's not God's timing for your healing. He healed all who came to him. You never see Jesus telling them that they can't be helped because there's some kind of sin in their life. He, he knew they had sin in their lives. Nobody was born again at that time. But when they came, he helped them. All who came, he helped them. That's good stuff, isn't it? Picture of Jesus. Now see, Jesus is showing us what God is like. See, these traditions that we have, these ideas, religion, things that we get in the world, they don't show us what God is like. You follow them and you don't know who God is. But you look at Jesus and you know what God is like. Jesus never told anybody that, this, that sickness or their problem in their life was to keep them humble. He never told anybody who came to him that they didn't have enough faith, go away and come back when you have more faith. Never did. You know why? Because coming to him was faith. It's all the faith they needed to show. And in their coming, that was it. You know, there's a verse, um, and forgive me, I don't know the reference, but it's, um, I think it's in Romans 4, could be Romans 5, but it talks about it is by, uh, it is by grace that it might be by faith so that the promise may be sure to all the seed. Okay. The reason it's by grace and faith is not to make it difficult and keep people out. It's so that it can be inclusive so that the most people can get it so that everybody can come in. It's not supposed to be difficult. He didn't shed his blood, hang on the cross, take all of our sicknesses and all of our sins and uh, bear all of it in his body on the tree and suffer just to hang it just out of our reach where we can't get it. Oh, he wants us to be walking in the fullness of it. He wants us to be experiencing all of it. Amen? He never told anybody, anybody, anytime that God was using a sickness in their life to teach them something. Sickness was the work of his enemy. And so if I don't see Jesus telling people, well, maybe you're sick because God's trying to teach you something. If I don't see Jesus doing that, I'm not gonna do that. Amen? Yeah. Or that he never, hey, look at this one. He never even told them that somehow you must have opened the door to the devil and let that in. You see anywhere Jesus said that? Well, see, the reason you're sick is because you've opened the door to the devil and uh, you're just going to have to suffer with it. No, if they came, he helped them. He had the power to help them. Amen? In every encounter, Jesus was willing to love, to help, and to heal. Was he not? And Jesus is our example. So what are we going to be? I tell you, we're going to be a loving a helping and a healing group of people. Amen. We're going to be a loving, a helping, and a healing church. Amen.
We want people, when they come in and encounter us personally or when they visit our church, we want them to see the love of God, the help, the healing, not judgment and criticism and all kinds of traditions that tell us, tell them why they have to be on the outside or be excluded or why God can't help them. That's weakness. You know what happens is we go after something. We don't get it the first time. Go after it again. Don't get it again. Go after it again. We get weary. We get tired. So we start looking for reasons. So we end up with doctrines of failure to explain why we're not experiencing the things of God, yet still we want to keep our theology intact. (laughs) Let's just be real. If we miss it, man, God, I missed it. I prayed. I didn't see an answer. God, the problem's with me. Change me. I'm not going to make excuses and come up with dumb things from the world to explain away your power. Oh, I didn't get answer prayer because of, oh, it must not have been God's timing for it. There must be a time associate. No, it didn't happen in the life of Jesus. It's not going to happen. I don't want to receive that in my life. Oh, I prayed and didn't get healed. There there must be some reason. Maybe God's teaching me something through it. Never see Jesus do that. Don't take that. Don't take that from the world. Don't take that from tradition. Because Jesus healed everybody who came when they came, amen? And that was even before he took the stripes. He was healing them on credit for what he was going to do. You realize everybody who came to Jesus, not one of them were washed in the blood because the blood hadn't been poured out. Not one of them were born again because he hadn't gone to the cross. Every one of them was the old nature. Not one of them was connected to the Father. Not one was made new. Not one of them was rescued from the domain of Satan and transferred into the kingdom of God. Weren't. They were all sinners and he helped them. How much more will he help you? How much more are all the promises of God? Yes, for you in him, amen? Jesus reveals the Father. Verse three of Hebrews one says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus shows us what God is like. Traditions don't, circumstances don't. See that sometimes we make judgment on God's character by our circumstances. Well, if this is happening in my life, then it must be because God, whatever you can rationalize in your mind to make sense of your circumstance. But circumstances don't. I've met people, I've known people who've gone through some terrible things. I've gone through some things, you have too. And it's very tempting to say, well, maybe God had this reason for it because you want to make sense out of it. I get that. I really do. But you don't look at your circumstances to know what God is like. You look at Jesus to know what God is like because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. These will be very familiar verses. John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The word was with God and the word was God. Say the word was God. He, that is the word, was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have, oh, I'm sorry. I've typed them in my screen here and I lumped them all together. See, if you were following me in your Bible, you'd have been like, he's getting off here. (laughs) 
skip down to verse 14. I should have made a space there. Um, this, that's the problem with copy and paste. You can get it, you can get it wrong. <laughs> and the word became flesh, it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Listen, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So basically Jesus, the word made flesh, you know it well, but now skip down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's, no one has ever seen God, semicolon, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. See that? Jesus, no man has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. So I we look to Jesus if we want to know what God is like. In the King James, it says a little different. It says, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So I'm reading from the ESV. It says he has made him known. King James says he has declared him. The contemporary English version says the only son who is truly God and is closest to the father has shown us what God is like. Holman Christian Standard Bible says the one and only son, the one who is at the father's side, he has revealed him. New American Standard says he has explained him. And finally, New Testament for everyone. I like this one. Nobody has ever seen God, the only begotten God who is intimately close to the Father. He has brought him to light. He has declared him. He has made him known. He has shown us what God is like. He has revealed him. He has explained him. He has brought him to light. Isn't that good? See, the law couldn't do that. The prophets couldn't do that. They had all of that in their history. The ministry of the angels, the thundering mountains, you know, when Moses was on the mountain and they were trembling because no man would dare touch the mountain and any beast that touched it died, right? You know, the, the glory of God. None of that could really show you the heart of God the way that Jesus could. Even Solomon's temple and the glory filled the temple and the priests couldn't stand to minister. Still, it didn't show you. It did not reveal the Father the way that Jesus did. It wasn't until Jesus that he, he became, came to light that he was revealed. Is that good? Jesus is special. <laughs> Second, uh, Colossians 2.9 says this, for in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Holman's Christian says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. These kind of verses, you, 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 I like reading them in the different translations and just kind of meditating on them and trying to get the full picture of it, you know, because they're trying to put this profound truth, God in a body, in a sentence. <laughs> Listen to uh, the Living Bible. For in Christ, there is all of God in a human body. There's all of God in a human body. Get your mind around that. <laughs> all of God in a human body, the New Testament for everyone. In him, you see, all the full measure of divinity has taken up bodily residence, the fullness of God. And finally, I don't know this translation. Maybe you guys do. The Names of God Bible. It was on Bible Gateway, but listen to how it reads. All of God lives in Christ's body. <laughs> you can't get simpler than that. All of God lives in Christ's body. So when you see God, or when you see Jesus, you see God. See, when I was in Bible school, I had to study theology. 
right? And I had to study systematic theology. And systematic, I had to take three different classes, systematic theology, one, two, and three. And what systematic theology does, you know, it's a study of the nature of God. But what they do is they take into account, um, they draw on church history, secular history, philosophy, Christian tradition, the church tradition, dogma of the church. They pull from all these different sources and try to systematize a way where we can understand the nature of God. It's an academic pursuit. I mean, and it's, it's got some value. But I, I found out, you know, I'm a systematic person, but I found out studying systematic theology, it wasn't my favorite kind of theology. My favorite kind of theology is biblical theology. I just love seeing what the scriptures say in their context and seeing what they say about God. But if you want to know what God is like, you don't have to spend decades studying. Hey, Meshach, you're studying systematic theology right now. I'm not, I'm not trying to slam your studies. <laughs> no, but I think Meshach would agree, though. I mean, you're working through it. You're pulling from all these things, and you're analyzing, and you're putting together. You're trying to systematize what God is like. But if you really want to know what God is like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. It's not as difficult as that. And like I said, I think there's some benefit. I mean, I, I like theology. I like working through some things. But, you know, people have systemized different theologies through the, through the centuries. And they get it wrong a lot. <laughs> They're not perfect. But Jesus is perfect. And looking at Jesus, you can see what God is like. Because why? When you see Jesus, you see God in a body. Look at John 14. Uh, go to John 14, start at verse 7. Jesus said this. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, verse 8, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus shows us what God is like. Skip back to John 18, or John 8, rather. <laughs> if it was 18, it would be skipped forward, wouldn't it? Skip back to John 8, verse 19. The Jews said to Jesus, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And if you knew me, you would know my father. Why? Because Jesus and God are one. He shows us the father. John 10, 30. I and the father are one. Isn't that good? So what I want to do right now in the, in the few minutes we have left, I want to take, take a look at some of these scriptures that would reveal or explain the, the, the character of God in the life of Jesus. I want to show you God's willingness to heal people, to help people, and to love people. So go with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and listen, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Do you see? Is there a... He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, right, for our salvation. He's healing every disease and every affliction. Is there a disease or affliction that he was unwilling or unable to heal? He healed them all, didn't he? And then when he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion on them. You know, I think sometimes when we see crowds, we don't always have that same compassion. When we see crowds, we're like, look at those crazy people. <laughs> going the way of the world. I mean, come on, we, we've, made it, we've made an enemy out of the world in our minds, haven't we? And I mean, to an extent, rightly so, friendship with the world is enmity with God. I get that. But th these people out here lost are the object of God's affection. They're the people that he died to save. And, and uh, I don't think that it, it, it pleases his heart that we pull away and not extend compassion to them. Because when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them. He said, they're like shepherdless sheep. They're wandering around, nobody to guide them. And if Jesus feels that way about the people, how does God feel about the people when Jesus shows us the Father? He's looking at the lost masses and he's saying they're sheep without a shepherd. We get mad at them, you know, because they're liberals or whatever they are, right? <laughs> we get angry. When God's saying, I want them. They're sheep without a shepherd. Love them. Reach them. If Jesus were here in the flesh, he would reach them, wouldn't he? Go to Matthew 14, a couple chapters over. 14, verse 13. Jesus, uh, um, if I remember the context right, you guys with your Bibles open can look it up and correct me. But uh, John the Baptist had died and Jesus was looking for some alone time. And so when he heard this, he withdrew from there uh, in a boat and he went to a desolate place by himself. He was just trying to get away. <laughs> Anybody ever have a need to get away? Anybody have little kids in your house? <laughs> Sometimes you might need to get away. I mean, I wouldn't know. Would you, Rinkim? <laughs> um, he withdrew to a, a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd. And listen, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. <laughs> he could have been like, just, I just need to be alone. <laughs> But no, he's showing us what God is like and he had compassion on that crowd and he healed their sick. Because why? Because finally, the love of God for these people could be poured out in Jesus in a way that it could never be poured out before. Second Corinthians 5.19 says that it is Christ. It was God reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting their trespasses against them. So when the leper came to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will be clean. That is God saying, I will, I'm willing. When the um, uh, centurion came to Jesus and said, my servant is suffering terribly. Before he even got to ask him what he wanted, Jesus says, I'll go heal him. 
I want you to see God saying, I'll go heal him. Do you see how willing and ready God is? I'll go, let me go. And the centurion was like, no, that's not even what I was asking. (laughs) But do you see the willingness of God to come and help you? to come and heal you, to come and meet you right where you're at. I mean, I'm gonna go to the centurion's house. I'm, I'll, I'll go out of my way. I'll follow you. I'll go to your Gentile house and heal him. Like, no, 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 you don't have to. Say your word. But you see God's willingness in that, amen? Then when he went and he touched Peter's mother-in-law's hand, you know, and she came, this God touching her hand, driving that fever out. That's the heart of the Father. Jesus came to show us what God is like. You think God is interested in, you know, helping you get out, pay your bills, <laughs> physical needs, you know? Go with me to Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, Behold, a man who had died was being carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And listen to verse 13. When he saw her, he had compassion on her. Who did he have compassion on her? On <laughs> Who did he have compassion on? Her. <laughs> Not the dead man. Her. Why? She was a widow. What's the widow do when their sons die? They're, 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 they're homeless. They're helpless. They don't have any means of providing for themselves. He didn't care for the dead person here. He had compassion on her. And because he cared for her, we had a dead raisin. If he'll raise the son of a widow just because he has compassion on her, won't he help you pay your bills, <laughs> meet your needs, give you a house over your head, give you food, he wanted to make sure she was fed. She had a place to stay. He wanted to take care of her physical needs, even if that meant going as far as raising somebody from the dead to do it. I think most of our needs could probably be met without a dead raisin. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> a few thousand dollars would do some of us. <laughs> but he's willing to help us. He felt compassion for the widow. He'll help you with your needs. Moved with pity, he healed the leper. Moved with compassion, he fed the multitudes. Remember that? They were with him for three days and he said, they're hungry. I don't want them to faint on the way. So let's give them food. He cares about your material needs, amen? See, this is what God always wanted to do. This is how God always wanted to be known and understood. And now he can show himself through Jesus. The cool thing is Jesus has not changed. Hebrews 13, 8, you know it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and in the Greek it says, and to the ages. I like that, and to the ages. Kind of sounds like Buzz Lightyear. No, it, it, to me, to the ages, you know, when you realize that, you know, we're living in an age and there's a coming age that even through all eternity, he will be the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His heart of compassion remains the same. If he was willing to help somebody then, he's willing to help somebody today, amen? And what Jesus began to do when he was walking the earth in a body, 
what he began to do and teach, he does continue. And you know this, we've covered it. He continues to do at the right hand of the father. Amen. He has a ministry at the right hand of the father and now he's doing it through the church. He's doing it through us, but he has not changed. He still wants to express the father through you. So when people see us, you know, what do they see? Do they see Jesus? Do they see the father? Or do we give them, you know, our opinion? I guess that's all right as long as our opinion's right. You know, in my humble yet accurate opinion. <laughs> if your opinion's right, you're okay. But if your opinion's wrong, you, you better just stick with the word, amen? <laughs> but you wanna be, you, what we want to do is we want to express God's nature. He has commissioned the church to continue his ministry. Hebrews 3.3. 3. Put that, let's read the rest of that. You have Hebrews 3, 3, 1, 3, there you go. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that is the basis of the ministry of the church. The fact that Jesus is exalted and as head and ruler over all things, this is in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one, and has been given as head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You are the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what do people encounter when they come to our church? I pray they encounter Jesus. I pray they encounter God. I pray that we can show them the Father the way that Jesus could show them the Father. In closing, go to John 14. We read this verse earlier, but I'm gonna read the whole context. John 14, I should have told you to keep your finger there knowing I was coming back to it. John 14, chapter 14, verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. Jesus said to them, to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Listen, okay. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Okay, we could unpack this for the next 15 minutes, <laughs> but I'm not going to. But look, he says, believe me, believe the Father is in me. The works that I do are evident that the Father is in me, right? If you don't believe me, just believe the works that I'm doing. They're showing you that the Father is in me. And then he turns around and he says, the works that you're gonna do are gonna be greater works because I'm going to the Father, which is evident the Father is in you. He's working in you. He wants to manifest Jesus in you, amen? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. You know, people talk about what the greater works are. Are they greater, you know, in magnitude? Are they greater in 
power. What are, I'm, I'm just thrilled to think that we can do the works that Jesus did. <laughs> Let's do the works that Jesus did. Then we'll figure out what the greater works are. Let's just start with, you know, getting healed and walking in power and holiness and, and uh, walking, treading on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. Amen. And then we'll keep on going. We'll find out what those greater works are. It's God's intention to carry out his acts of compassion through whoever believes in him. See, Jesus could cut straight through religion. He could cut straight through tradition. He could cut straight through circumstances and he could reveal the father for who he was. Remember the words he declared, he revealed, he explained what God is like. That's what my heart is. I want to be able to cut right through this stuff, right through tradition, cut through the circumstances, cut through religion, and let people see what God is like. That's my prayer for this church. When people hang around us, what do they do? They do they see what God is like, or do they get tradition and judgment and rejection and religion? No place for that here. Amen. We're not going that way, are we? No. When we have this and we have the Spirit of God in our midst, there's no need to go that way. Praise the Lord. We're to be like Jesus. Jesus was loving, healing, and helping. And we're supposed to be loving, healing, and helping. We, we are a loving and healing and helping church. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus shows us what God is like. I thank you that you have invited us to be connected to you by the power of your spirit, by the salvation, by the blood that was poured out, by the body that was broken for us. I thank you, Lord, for these things. Father God, let us walk in such a way that not only do we experience these things for ourselves, but that we can manifest them, that we can explain them. Father God, let this be a church, a church that can also reveal and explain and demonstrate what the Father is like, that we can demonstrate what God is to this world, Lord. Let us have a compassion for people, Lord, that when we go around, that we can also, like Jesus, that we can do things that are good, that we can bring healing to those who are under the devil oppression, that we can shepherd those who are lost and wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. Father God, take us to this place, Lord. Let us express and experience the goodness of God, but let us express the goodness of God to a world that needs to hear an accurate word from God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.